Good morning, Pathway Church. It's a great day to be together in worship. Uh, some have asked, what are we going to do when we're through here? Uh, Brenda's been trying to get me to write a book. We have a title, Amazing and Crazy People We Met on the Way to Heaven. And, and I'll have to add that on Pastor's Appreciation Sunday, Martha Stewart prayed for me. You know, I don't have to say which Martha Stewart, Martha Stewart prayed for me. That's a great thing. I want to begin this morning with a little clip from a television show you might be familiar with. Higher than a two. Wow. Well, you got two easy ones to start out. Good luck, Michelle. Here we go. She really wants this car. Mazda 3. Let's see this number higher than a one. Let's see this number higher than a one. Oh, good luck. Lower than a five. Come on. <laughs> One more to go, Michelle. Higher than a two. You got it. Today we talk about opportunity doors, and wouldn't it be great to get one of those doors on the price is right and to guess the right amount, which I could never do, but uh, it'd be incredible to get one of those prizes, but we sometimes fail to understand that we all have opportunity doors all the time that we often don't take advantage of. I have a good friend that uh, 20 years ago, he weighed 300 pounds. He had high blood pressure, uh, he had some heart issues, he was diabetic, and he decided that was not honoring God. Today, 20 years later, he weighs 165 pounds, and he's weighed that for 18 years in a row. He took an opportunity to improve his health. There are opportunities that we have to improve our marriages. We have opportunities uh, for new careers. And all these opportunities that we have, have some common elements. Those are determination, commitment, priority, and faith. Those things are critical for us to walk through the doors of opportunity that God gives us. But most of us, when I just kind of say a generic us, prefer the price is right. You know, let me just get lucky and guess the right door and, and win the big prize and my life will be different. Or I'll buy on Friday or wherever day it is that they announce it, I'll get a Powerball ticket and maybe lightning will strike in the same place twice, you know, and, and millions of people do that every single week. Maybe it's because they feel there's no other path to success. The Bible teaches us that we all have an opportunity door, and the prize behind that door is beyond comprehension. It's amazing. Not only an opportunity to change your life, but an opportunity to change lives for generations to come. It's truly a miracle door. There's a parable that you're probably familiar with if you've been in church very much. Uh, it's the parable of the sower, and I want to read it to you this morning. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed. 
He scattered across his field. Some of the seed fell on the footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell in shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the heat of the sun. And since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns, and they grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as what was planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, it's interesting. As usual, the disciples don't get it. I really like the disciples. They weren't the sharpest blades in the drawer, you know, and I'm not either. So sometimes I don't get it. So Jesus kind of has patience with us who are slow to get it. So starting with verse 13, he explains what they didn't understand. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? The farmer plants seeds by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come and at once take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, even 100 times as much as they planted. Now, I've preached on this passage a lot of times over the last <laughs> long, a lot of years. And I've talked about those four kinds of soil many times. But I don't want to talk about the soil today. I want to talk about the sower and the seed. Because I think that helps us understand how God's kingdom works and how God's opportunities come. I think we have a picture of a sower somewhere. There you go. Uh, that's not how we do it now, but uh, that's an ancient sower. In Jesus' day, seed was incredibly precious. It had to be separated out. It had to be stored in a dry place. You had to withstand the temptation when you were really hungry and you're out of food not to eat the seed that was necessary for planting the next harvest. That was really tough. Uh, seed is still precious. This uh, past year, we were transitional pastors in Monroe City, Indiana, population 546. And it is farming country. They raise millions of bushels of wheat, corn, and soybeans. Uh, their whole life revolves around the crops. So in the springtime, when it's late April through early June, all the farmers in the church are out planting all day long, six days a week, from sunup to evening. And then September to about the middle of October, they're harvesting. And those days start before dawn and go to 10 o'clock at night 
six days a week. It's, it's amazing that, that whole process. So everything around the church, you had to figure it around the harvest <laughs> and, and how that worked. Not long after I arrived, uh, one of the large farmers named Mike said, I'm going to take you around and show you some farms. Well, I grew up in Kentucky and we had a little country store surrounded by farms. I worked on farms from the time I was in the fourth grade. I milked cows by hand and all that kind of stuff. So I thought I knew farming. Well, I didn't know their kind of farming. In Kentucky, a big farm is 100 to 300 acres. A really big farm is four or 500 acres. In southern Indiana, a small farm is 1,000 acres. Mike raises 12,000 acres. You know, so we're, we're talking, you know, really big farms. <laughs> and obviously, waste is important when you have that major of an investment. And Mike showed me the, the tractors, which are very expensive, and the, the planting machines. On each side, they're like two big arms. They're 30 feet on each side. So when they plant, it's 60 feet across. And they don't even, you know, I, I'm used to seeing people plowing up the dirt. They don't do that because that causes erosion. It pushes the seed into the dirt every six inches. It's guided by GPS when they turn the corner. Every row is perfectly straight, six inches apart uh, between the seeds. It's an amazing process to watch. It's so precise. Nothing is wasted. In Jesus' day, seed was also incredibly precious. Uh, they didn't have all those huge farms or all that equipment. So every seed was precious. And that's what makes this story both uh, interesting and a little difficult to understand. Notice a sower is not cautious. He's tossing seed everywhere, hard ground, thorny ground. You know, he's, he's tossing the seed out there. And uh, he sowed the seed indiscriminately everywhere he went. There was no litmus test that said, this part is worthy of seed, and this part is not worthy of seed. So why did the sower sow everywhere? Why did Jesus even tell this story? Because we're not talking typical seed. We're talking miracle seed. We're talking amazing seed, the gospel, the word of God. And it can take root in fields where it's never grown before and where it's never worked before. It's not the wisdom of the sower. It's the power of the seed. In Luke chapter 19, we have the story of Zacchaeus. Remember, he was the wee little man. He was also a crook and a tax collector. And he collected taxes for Rome, and he kept a lot of money for himself. He was not a nice guy. And Jesus invites himself over for dinner, and he sows seeds in the most unlikely place. This guy who is not worthy by any stretch of the imagination but the gospel takes root in his heart and his life changes. Jesus knew the heart of God is to lavish his grace on everyone, not just the most likely ones. If you don't believe me, listen to what it says in Ephesians. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. What does it mean to lavish? 
Well, you know, when you have a hot fudge sundae and your wife gives you just a little spoonful? No, lavish, you just turn the thing upside down, you know, and you cover it with chocolate. You lavish it on them. In John chapter 12, Jesus praises a woman who lavishes her love on him. The disciples felt like she was being wasteful. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. In Luke chapter 14, there's a guy who's throwing a party, and he invites a bunch of guests, and they start making excuses and don't show up. What does he do? He broadens the net. He tries less likely places. Then the master said to his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Let me tell you about some folks who uh, decided that I'll go to those who are least likely to say yes. And our task is always, as Christ followers, to sow as many seeds and lavish as much love of God's grace as we possibly can. Paul and Misty were the least likely seed sowers. Uh, Their marriage was shaky. Their finances were a mess. But they were these real simple new believers that if God said it, they thought they should do it. And we were studying at that time Rick Warren's 40 Days of Purpose. And they'd invited this guy to church, and he said he would come. But he didn't come, and they didn't follow up on it. And so as they're reading this 40 Days of Purpose, Misty starts feeling really guilty. And she thought, I I may have missed an opportunity. And what if he never finds Christ? And they'd moved away from their apartment complex nine months earlier. But she and Paul started calling the manager there, and they knew his first name. They didn't know his last name. They finally got his name. And they called him. And he didn't answer. Well, we tried. No. They bought him a book, and they go to his apartment, and they knock on his door. And they found out, and they were so excited, he had started going to church. And the church he was going to was studying the same thing. So they gave him the book every single day. There are people in our lives that are hungry for some hope and some meaning that only Christ can give, that only Christ can give. I can see it in my mind now. I can see Jim. Jim was a Vietnam veteran, wonderful carpenter, but a messed up life. And he was working for this guy in our church who was an attorney named Ken. Now, Ken was a very busy attorney. He didn't have any partners. He did it by himself but he had so many clients. I used to go in Ken's office and he'd had 70 post-it notes on his door of stuff he was supposed to do and people he was supposed to see. Busy, busy guy. And he had hired Jim to come and, and do some remodeling in his, in his complex. So it's late at night after hours. Ken's working. Jim's working. And God suddenly said to Ken, You're not doing anything as important as that guy out there. I want you to talk to him. So he called Jim over to his couch, and he told him about Jesus. An hour later, Jim knelt beside that couch and invited Christ into his life. What a transformation. 
Ken and his wife Sherry and Jim would sit in the middle aisle right about there every Sunday morning. (laughs) I'd get calls from Jim in the middle of the week, Pastor, this prayer stuff really works. He's so excited. Now, he literally lived in a container, a metal container by the railroad track. He had been a drug drug addict and an alcoholic for for many, many years. And uh, he came and he put down oak floors on the church platform. That was his labor of love. But years of abuse to his liver, it gave out. And at 42... Jim died. But Jim stepped into the arms of Jesus because Ken was not too busy to sow seeds in the most unlikely place with the most unlikely guy. You see, we can never know or predict who is going to be faithful. We really can't. We can never know who will say yes to God's invitation. But we can know as followers of Christ, our mission is to sow his seeds and to sow them lavishly. Hard ground, thorny ground, good ground. You just sow it. Miracle seeds. In the Monroe City Church, there was a chiropractor. And uh, Rick was an interesting guy. uh, And he kept telling me, he goes, hey, come see me. I, I give a great pastor's discount. Well, I'd, I'd hurt my neck. Every time I turned to the right, it kind of hurt, you know. And so I thought, well, I'll go see Rick. Well, uh, you know, he said, okay, you've you got some problems. So, yeah, I want you to come in three days a week for three weeks, and then every two weeks. And I, I did that until I left there. You know, he's working on me all the time. And he, he's working on my neck and massaging. And, and I said, Rick, tell me your story. We've all got a story, you know. So tell me your story. He goes, I'll give you the condensed version. My wife... Laura and I were raised Catholic. We were Catholics. We went twice a year to, to Mass. And he goes, uh, and as I was starting my business, I would be gone about 20 weekends a year to, to get information, to go to seminars, to know how to set up my chiropractic business. And one weekend while I'm away, somebody from Monroe City Church of God, in, which is eight miles from Vincennes, where his office was, Invited my family to Friends Day. And when I came home, my kids said, Dad, we want to go to that church. We want to go there. And he said, oh, okay. So he goes, I, I took the kids to church in Monroe City Church of God. And he goes, I was, you know, I'm, I'm the most organized guy in the world. So I always said the first year I set goals for the year. You know, and he goes, and it's like God said to me, you're going to go to church 35 weeks this year. And he said, I laughed because I go to Mass twice a year, you know. And he goes, and so I started going to church, and all of a sudden I realized I didn't have to keep track anymore. I was going to go way more than 35 times. And today he's an elder in the Church of God in Monroe City. How'd he get there? Somebody sowed a seed. Somebody invited them. Somebody asked. At that same little church, they, uh, once or twice a year, they had the youth lead the worship. And on this one particular Sunday, as the youth team was leading, I knew one of the members of the praise team. Her name was Madison. Madison started coming to church when she was 
about three years old on Wednesday night. This little church had a WWJD program on Wednesday night where they would go and pick up some really poor kids that lived in the surrounding area with a bus and bring them to church. And Madison was one of those really poor kids. And Madison's story was a tough story. Her parents divorced. Uh, She was really angry at her father about the divorce. And it showed up in school. She was always in trouble. She was an angry little girl. came out in inappropriate ways. And this little church would bring these 35 kids on Wednesday night. And on Wednesday night, in a town of 546, they had 90 kids <laughs> on Wednesday night. It was an amazing thing. And what really amazed me is I would go back there and watch what they were doing. Some of their workers had been working that program for 20 years. Same volunteers for 20 years working with these kids. And so when Madison shared her story, she shared about going to the state youth convention as a teenager and encountering Jesus as a personal savior for the first time and forgiving her parents. Her life began to change because some people picked her up, brought her to church, loved on her from the time she was three years old, sowing seeds in really tough ground. Laura Buckingham is pastor, has been for about four or five decades now, of a large Wesleyan church in Canada. And he begins every board meeting with this statement to his board. We have met here tonight to reach people. Every decision we make here tonight will either help us in that cause or hurt us. When I read that, I thought, well, what if we started every board meeting that way? We've met here tonight to reach people. Every decision we make in that cause will either help us or hurt us. Laurel understands we can't save anybody, but we can sow seeds. We're called to sow seeds. Some of the seeds we sow will not show up in our lifetime. Each of us has a sphere of influence that goes from the oldest living relative we can remember to the death of our youngest grandchild. That's the sphere of, of our influence. My grandfather, Thomas Birch, was born in 1874 in Morgan County, Kentucky. He grew up, was an elder in Antioch Christian Church in a little burg called Kidville in Clark County. I remember my grandfather vaguely. He died when I was very young. But I can remember that he was a huge man, had snow white hair. He could pick up two, when he was 80 years old, pick up two huge bags of seed, throw them over his shoulders and walk away. He was just a big guy. And my dad was like that. And so uh, he used to set me on his lap as a, as a little kid. And he had a change purse, which I have, by the way. And he'd give me a nickel. And then I remember he died in 1957 when I was five years old. And at mealtime, he would tell his wife, whose name was Minerva D. I couldn't get any of my daughter-in-laws to name our granddaughters after my grandmother. I don't, I don't get it. But, but Minerva said that, that my grandfather would always say, that was a bully good meal. You know, and he was just this wonderful guy. And uh, he died. But his deep faith and love impacted my life, even though I was only five years old at the time.
Our sphere of influence ends with the death of our youngest grandchild. Uh, what we think is our last grandchild <laughs> was born in 2019. His name is Benaiah. So if you take that calculation, that makes my sphere of influence about 235 years. All that says, it's important how we spend our lives because it counts for eternity. And it's for people that we influence that we'll never meet until we get to heaven. Our lives bless or curse future generations. Please hear that. Our lives bless or curse future generations. I have a friend who was raised in a family of abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse. And it was a generational thing. It had been going on in this family for a while. She found Jesus and she's broke that curse. She's changed her family in an, in an incredible way. In Mark's story, there are four kinds of soil and only one produces a great harvest. George Barna says, one out of four people in America would come to church if someone would just ask them. Think about that. In 2016, there was a movie came out called Hacksaw Ridge. It was the story of Desmond Ross. Desmond Ross, if you remember, was a conscientious objector. He wouldn't carry a gun. Because of that, he was uh, ridiculed by the soldiers. They, they beat him up. They tried to get him out of the army, and he refused. He goes, no, I'm supposed to be here, but I'm going to carry a gun. And they finally made him a medic, and he was in the Battle of Okinawa. And it was a horrible battle. So many people killed. And that evening, Desmond Ross would go among the enemy and find our wounded soldiers and carry them to a large ridge where, uh, of a net where they lower them down with a rope. He saved 70 people that night. He he's the first non-combatant to ever receive a Medal of Honor. And what I was impressed with, all night long, he kept praying this prayer, please, Lord, help me get just one more. Just one more. It occurred to me that should be the prayer on the heart of every Christ follower. Please, Lord, help me get just one more. When we think of heaven, we sometimes think of golden streets and all kinds of ornate stuff. Somehow, I don't believe that's the real reward of heaven. The real reward of heaven will be who we bring with us. Who we bring with us. We just sow the seeds. We sow them indiscriminately. We sow them lavishly. And we trust the Lord of the harvest. Your discipleship challenge this morning is to sow kingdom seeds everywhere. Invite them to a bigger purpose. You never know who will be faithful. That's what God is like. Even today, even today, he's sowing miracle seeds into the lives of people who we never thought could change. Situations that we never believed could be different. But these miracle seeds, oh, they change everything. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you today for the chance to make a difference in our generation.
We know that you've given us a mission. That mission is to sow seeds lavishly. There are people that need to hear the good news, and they're all around us. Thank you for trusting the good news into our care. Father, more than anything else, I want to fulfill the purpose I was created for. Today, I accept my mission on earth. I want you to use me anytime, any way, any place. I want to sow your seeds of hope. I want to bring others to you and help this church to do the exact same thing. Help us, Lord, to reach just one more. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a moment, the praise team is going to share a song that I love. It talks about how deep the Father's love for us. It's, it's beyond measure. And I want to give an invitation this morning that's a little different. If you're here this morning and you know someone, and maybe they're not the most fertile ground, but you know they need Christ, and they're on your heart, and he's called you to, to do something about that. I'm going to give you a moment to, to come forward and say, hey, I'm here. I'm, I'm, I'm available. Or maybe you've got some generational curse in your family that you need to break. And God says, I'll help you do it. If you'll trust me, I'll work through it. So if you would stand with me right now, and as they sing, if you're here this morning and you want to, to kneel, or if you want to just stand across the front here, socially distance. But I want to pray for you this morning that God will help you be lavish seed sowers. If he's calling you, come. If not, that's okay. But the Father's love is here today. Mother Joe. 
There may be some folks here this morning that have got some generational things that need to be broken. And they're saying, God, through your power, I, I think it can happen. I think you can change my family. Lord, help us to be a blessing for generations to generations to come. Thank you for each person here today. None of us are worthy. None of us have power by ourselves. But Lord, lavish your love lavish your grace to us we claim in the powerful name of jesus amen go and sow the seeds folks